Welcome to Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Today is Father's Day as well as Juneteenth. How did an obscure celebration in the backwater of Texas become a symbol of hope? Join us for the message, Proclaiming Emancipation. Good morning, and welcome to worship here at Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the third chapter of Exodus, beginning with the seventh verse. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the country of Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Major General Gordon Granger looked out over the bow of the ship as it's made its way to the port of Galveston, Texas. He was coming with 2,000 men to occupy the city, and the date was June 17, 1865. Just a little over two months before, on April 9th, the Confederate General Robert E. Lee had surrendered to Union General Ulysses S. Grant at the courthouse in Appomattox, Virginia thus ending the Civil War, the most lethal war in United States history. Gordon Granger had distinguished himself militarily first in the Mexican-American War, and then during the Civil War at the battles of Chickamauga and Chattanooga. And as a result of his reputation for success, Granger was named the first military governor of the District of Texas after the Civil War. In 1865, Texas was on the western edge of the Confederacy and saw very little military action, and also news was slow to arrive. Like most of the South, the vast majority of Texans lived an agrarian life, often in isolation to the larger world. At that time, there was a little over 600,000 residents spread across the entire state. That comes out to two and a quarter people per square mile. Nevertheless, despite the sparse population, when Granger and his men arrived, he knew they would be in charge of a vast territory. And 30% of that otherwise sparse population were enslaved. Though Granger would have been aware of the state's sense of isolation, even he was surprised when he arrived that hardly any of the Texans were aware of the Emancipation Proclamation that had been issued by President Abraham Lincoln almost two and a half years before. It wasn't that they didn't know about it, it wasn't that they knew about it and chose to ignore it. Almost no one had even heard of it. Remember that during this time there was no 24-7 news channels, no social media. There were no newspapers outside of the major cities, which really weren't even all that major. There wasn't even much of a mail service. What mail service they had was delivered by stagecoach. There was one incident reported where all the mail between Austin and Houston was lost because the mules ran away. <laughs> well, the Emancipation Proclamation was issued by Lincoln on January 1st, 1863, 
And the document freed the slaves, but it, it was not as comprehensive, I think, as a lot of people think it was. It emancipated only those enslaved persons in the rebel states. It deliberately excluded states, uh, slave states that had chosen to remain loyal to the Union, Kentucky, Missouri, Maryland, Delaware. And Lincoln did this specifically in hopes that they would remain loyal to the Union. And it expressly exempted southern rebel territories that had already been brought under Union control. And so the Emancipation Proclamation was only enforceable so far as the Northern Army was successful from that point on. But it did, however, allow the Northern Army and Navy to start recruiting uh, from the newly freed slaves. And now it was not a perfect document, but it did add a moral imperative to the Union cause. From then on, every bit of ground that the Northern Army captured represented just another little bit of ground that now where was where freedom could take hold. And so as a loyal Union officer then, Gordon Granger was determined to enforce the proclamation over this new territory over which he was now in charge. So two days after arriving, Granger stood on the balcony of a two-story building overlooking the city of Galveston the population had gathered below to hear the man who was now going to be in charge of their state. And Granger wasted no time to inform the crowd that as of that moment, their lives would be irrevocably changed. He read the following words from his general order number three. The people of Texas are informed that in accordance with a proclamation from the executive of the United States, all slaves are free. This involves an absolute equality of rights and rights of property between former masters and slaves, and the connection therefore existing between them becomes that between employer and hired laborer. That date was June 19th, 1865. Now general order number three shocked everyone, some reacting with jubilation, some reacting with consternation. And just like the Emancipation Proclamation, general order number three didn't automatically make all the enslaved persons free. As I said earlier, news traveled very slowly in those days. Furthermore, some white slaveholders simply never told their slaves that they were now free. Others would eventually share the news, but they conveniently waited until after the next harvest was done. And some refused to free their slaves at all until government officials showed up and then forced the issue. Nevertheless, a year later, on June 19, 1866, newly freed black Americans gathered to celebrate their emancipation, and this started an annual tradition of commemorations that have since included community gatherings and sporting events, cookouts, prayers, dances, parades, and church services. Now, these services held every year on June 19th have become known as Juneteenth. In 1980, Juneteenth became a Texas state holiday, and just last year, it became a national holiday, complete with a long weekend and tomorrow off from work. Well, as I was researching Juneteenth, however, I was, I was struck by the, the very contingent nature of human endeavors. We do so much, only then to realize later that there is just so much that is left undone. Another, one example is one of the most common conclusions made about World War II is that in many ways it was a continuation of World War I. 
In fact, many historians have referred to the world wars as a single conflagration that was divided by a 20-year ceasefire. And so because the armistice of World War I was so inadequately negotiated, and the underlying issues just left to fester for another generation, then the men who fought World War I ended up having to send their sons off to fight World War II. So the work of peace and justice and freedom is always left imperfect and incomplete. Another example, the same generation that wrote the eloquent words of the Declaration of Independence and the United States Constitution, who extolled the liberties of freedom and independence, who fought for years to become an independent nation, that same generation as they set up their new country, allowed 20% of its population to remain enslaved. And this failure to do justice during the early days of the Republic planted the seeds for the Civil War that would later tear that same country apart. In fact, the Civil War is sometimes called the Second American Revolution, and Juneteenth is often referred to as the Black Independence Day. And so just as World War II was in many ways a continuation of World War I, the Civil War was in many ways a continuation of the American Revolution. And even with, with emancipation, it didn't prevent Jim Crow and countless other indignities from curtailing the freedom and dignity of black Americans throughout our history. And neither did things like the Civil Rights Act of 1964 or the Voting Rights Acts of 1965. Systemic racism remains stubbornly fixed within the fabric of our nation. So again, peace, justice, and freedom remain ever elusive. Now the psalmists knew this, and the writers of the psalms often express this elusiveness, as for example from this, from Psalm, the sixth psalm. O Lord, how long? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears, I drench my couch with my weeping. My eyes waste away because of grief, they grow weak because of all my foes. Even Jesus' disciples, who had eyewitnessed the power of his resurrection from the dead, still asked him, right before he ascended, Lord, is this the time when you'll finally restore the kingdom to Israel? We grow very impatient at the slow pace of God's work for justice. Thinking about what Wesley read earlier from the third chapter of Exodus, when the Lord speaks to Moses out of that burning bush, recruiting him to be the shepherd that's going to lead the Israelites out of slavery, God says, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I've come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land to a good and broad land flowing with milk and honey. Now, to be honest, when I hear this Bible passage, I always want to ask at this point, what took so long? Why did it take the Lord 400 years to finally hear the cry of the Israelites? And why did it take God from 1619 until 1865 to finally free enslaved Americans? Christian hope has always had this kind of right now slash not yet duality to it. The kingdom of God is something that is near to us right now yet it still remains something that is yet to be made fully manifest. 
When Jesus began his earthly ministry, the Gospel of Mark records that Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And then Paul wrote in Romans, You know what hour it is, how it is full time now for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. In other words, the kingdom of God is right here, right now, closer to us than when we first believed. And yet, Paul also writes in 2 Corinthians, so, do we, so we do not lose heart, for this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure, because we look not at what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. So the kingdom of God is right here, right now. But there is still a future, a future eternal weight of glory that is currently just beyond our reach. We yearn for that time when God's kingdom of, of peace and justice and freedom will finally be fully established. But the time that we occupy upon this earth is not for us to decide. In J.R.R. Tolkien's classic book, The Fellowship of the Ring, the protagonist Frodo wishes that he had never become the custodian of the one ring of power, nor be present for the conflict that it inspired. And so he says to one of his companions, the wise wizard Gandalf the Grey, I wish it need not have happened in my life, said Frodo. In my, excuse me, I wish it need not have happened in my time, said Frodo. So do I, said Gandalf, and so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. I might add that Tolkien wrote his magisterial trilogy, The Lord of the Rings, including the first volume, The Fellowship of the Ring, after witnessing the horrors of World War I as a young man. And just as we cannot choose the time in which we are born, neither do we choose the circumstances under which we're born. We do not choose where we are born, or to what family, what country, what class, what race, whether we're born slave or free. I shared in Bible study this last week that I often, I often think about and, and I contemplate this dichotomy that at one and the same time, I am a member of a marginalized, oppressed minority and I have been blessed with just one privilege after another. None of which, either the oppression or the privilege, I really had much control over. The only thing I control is what I do with the challenges and blessings that I have been given, or as Gandalf says, what I do with the time that has been given to me. Juneteenth reminds us of many things. It reminds us of the depth of evil of which we are capable, the blindness we can have to our own moral failings, our appetite for violence, but also reminds us of the words of the Reverend Theodore Parker, who said, I do not pretend to understand the moral universe. The ark is a long one. My eye reaches but little ways, but from what I see, I'm sure it bends towards justice. Parker's words were so often alluded to and quoted by Martin Luther King Jr. that they have often been attributed to him. So even though Juneteenth occurred two and a half years after the Emancipation Proclamation, it did eventually free the enslaved Texans. 
The moral arc was a long one, but it did eventually bend toward justice. We need to be reminded, however, that there's still so much further to go. Racism and white supremacy are still potent forces in our country, and the slowness of that moral arc, well, it can leave us feeling very discouraged and even bereft of hope. But Christian hope teaches us not to lose heart. The writer of 1 Peter encourages us with these words, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that is taking place among you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you're sharing Christ's sufferings so that you may also be glad and shout for joy when his glory is revealed. Now these particular, vo these particular verses have helped me personally a lot of times in my life when I found that the church was denying my calling. I mean, just those words, don't be surprised at this fiery ordeal. And I would kind of say to myself, oh, that's right. The Bible said that this would happen. In fact, if I'm facing opposition, it might mean I'm doing something right. So let's all remember, the world is full of injustice, and it always will be. The Bible says we will face a fiery ordeal. Jesus certainly did. But work for justice anyway. There's almost always some way that you can push forward that moral arc of the universe. And when we do, let's not forget to celebrate the wins. Keep in mind, however, that we will never set everything right, because only God can do that, and only in God's good time. There will be, however, an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure that's waiting for us then on the other side. So this is Christian hope. And along with faith, and most importantly, love, it's the key to the Christian life. And just keep working for justice. As Martin Luther King also said, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We're caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. And so just keep proclaiming emancipation from everything that would enslave us. Amen. And so now, let us then, with the confidence that we have as the children of God, pray the prayer that our Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Just a reminder, you can always find a recording of our service on our uh, Facebook page, on our website, tumcd.org. You can find an audio recording on our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. And so your action item for this week, push that moral arc in whatever ways that you can see ahead of you. And now receive this benediction. May the God of justice protect you. May you be the face of God's justice to others. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
hope you enjoyed and were blessed by today's service. Join us every Sunday here on Facebook Live at 11 o'clock. You'll find audio recordings of all our services on our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. Remember, we're now worshiping both in person in our sanctuary as well as online. God bless you in the week ahead. We'll see you Sunday at Trinity United Methodist Church.